Hi, my name is Titi Mutendi and you are listening to Enterprising Families Podcast. Welcome to the world of Enterprising Families where we discuss the issues of governance, next gen and looking at how families of wealth and family businesses growing into families of wealth can preserve their wealth, become better as they go forward into a new generation. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Enterprising Families and on this episode of Enterprising Families I have with me Michelle Clements and we're going to be speaking about succession, next gens and the future of family business and family office and I'm so honored and so excited to have Michelle here because she has worked in her family family office and she has seen the journey and experienced it and she brings such a wealth of wisdom that I think we can all learn from. Welcome Michelle. Well, thank you, Titi, and um, I appreciate you having me on this podcast today. Um, as Titi mentioned, I am a family office executive, or, or was um, up until December of 2020. I am a family member who started working in the family office industry back in 2006. I originally started working with my family when we realized that we needed a more organized form of uh, communication and more organized way of running the the day-to-day non-family business aspects of our family. Parts of that included uh, investment, investment strategy, uh, organization around family councils, organization around communications, family retreats, businesses, and so forth. And then, um, and that started in about 2006. And then uh, over time, we have a family business. My father's a serial entrepreneur. In, in 2008, I realized that at some point, my mother, who had been trustee of family trust that my father largely had created, that she would be required to step down when she turned 70. So in about 2008, the family started having discussions around what that looked like when she was no longer trustee. And we began a journey of exploration around, did we want a corporate trustee? Did we want a friend or an attorney? Or did we want to create our own private trust company? Through about a year and a half of of research and conversation, the family decided to create their own private trust company. And in 2012, we chartered our own trust company And that is um, the trust company that I ran for the past eight years. So we were originally a a chartered regulated private trust company, and then we transitioned to unregulated. In in, in December of 2020, we had, um, I had already, we had gone through about a two year process of conversation, research and interviews to find my replacement. So it was a very purposeful, intentional, decision for me to transition out. And at the end of 2020, I officially quote resigned. And now I work as lead faculty at the University of Denver on their family office executive education program. So that's just an overview of my background and happy to jump in. Well, thank you so much for that background. I think it puts a lot into perspective. And the first question I would ask would be, when you got into running your family's family office, 
did you have any experience in family office? Did you have any prior training? Or was it um, going in there and, and finding your own feet? I've had that question asked to me in the past and, and um, my off the, the cuff answer is I did have experience early on in my career. I worked in a psychiatric lockdown unit with adolescents. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> that might, might mirror some, some family dynamics that, that people listening to this podcast could relate to. Uh-huh. The reality is, is I, I didn't. I, I did not have the experience. I was asked by my father to be a co-trustee on a trust that he had created. And I didn't really understand what that meant. So I, I embarked upon a journey to really understand it. I'm not one to take a decision like that very lightly. I ended up going to a conference and heard a man speak. Uh, many people in the family office industry may know his name. His name is Jay Hughes. And I heard him talk about families and families of, of wealth and the various components of, of running a family office. And I, I really didn't know what it meant. I wasn't really sure what family governance really meant. And at the end of the, the, the session, I went up to him and I said, you know, I don't know exactly what you, what you said, but whatever it is, I know that we need it. And I asked him to mentor me and he began to guide me down a path of understanding the family governance and family office environment and introducing me to people who were very gracious with their their time and information. Mm -hmm. So it was a a little bit of um, learning through peers. Mm -hmm. And then I I did take courses as well to understand more. I I took a wealth management class. There's a a trust institute that I took courses at the trust institute. So I I wanted to make sure that if I, I was going to be a trustee and, and later on run the trust company that I had the skill set. It wasn't just appointed to me because I expressed an interest. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a fiduciary component to taking on the roles that I think in these capacities as family office executives, we have to be acutely aware of. Mm. And when you say that, I'm just thinking we tend to just think it's the easy job of um, setting up an office that manages the family. But in reality, it is taking on the responsibility of all the lives of members of the family and helping um, make decisions that can help guide their futures as well as define um, different opportunities that may be available to them. Is that correct? It is. For our family office, Mm -hmm. and just to explain the complexity, because I think oftentimes with family offices, you can have a lot of financial wealth, Mm -hmm. but not a lot of human capital. So the complexity looks different than if you have a lot of family members or human capital Mm -hmm. and not as much financial wealth. Mm -hmm. And so the the complexity does make it different. In, In our case, we currently have four generations. The fourth generation are, are young. They're mm-hmm. under the age of eight. But in the other generations, it, the family in total across four generations, we have about 40 family members. Oh. So there's, there's a lot of complexity. And in terms of guidance within the family office structure, 
the opportunity to really educate around the financial wealth, the human capital component, making sure that people understand that we're stewards of the gift mm-hmm. as opposed to using the gift. My, my father would say that um, this is intended to supplement your lifestyle, mm-hmm. not create it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, in my experience, I think, be, and I'm second generation. So in my experience, um, when we had a liquidity event, my, my older siblings, uh, and I'm one of seven, um, I think there was, they had spent their lifetime working in the family business. So the, um, the future of, of their professional work looked different in terms of how they, they moved forward and the opportunities of education around our next gens as they were born and, and coming into their own with education and careers as they're, um, as they're going into adulthood. But yes, there is, there's a lot of opportunity for education and direction for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so now looking at your experiences and knowing the what's necessary and what will really help with, with transitions and family offices, can you describe how you and your family have prepared your next generation or for your succession as president of the trust company and um, how you will continue to prepare succession in the family business? So I'll I'll address it in two parts. I think it's a little bit of a a two-part answer. In -hmm. terms of the succession of the trust company, it was really, it was really family involvement. There was a lot of family involvement. The first thing that we, we did was we looked at the, the trust company and we had a, a conversation and a reaffirmation around the purpose of having it. Did we still wanna continue if I was no longer running the trust company? Did we wanna continue? And, and the answer for most family members was yes. Um, I will share with you that not because of this, transition, but we had two family branches that opted to separate from the private trust company and and move toward a a corporate trust company. That's a conversation for a different day, but that invited a lot of complexity. So when we looked at my succession, we felt like we had to try and resolve that, that separation first, but we knew that the criteria around the role to assume the president position was, um, required a lot of skill sets. And I think sometimes when you're a family member running a family office or a trust company, outwardly other people might question your level of expertise and experience. One of the benefits of being a family member is you have a lifetime of history. So when when we look at the skill set and the succession piece in this role, one of the things that's really important is having somebody that understands the qualitative side versus the quantitative side of working with a family. And those are things around knowing the history of the family, having patience to learn it and to, and to learn the nuances of the family members, um, understanding the purpose for the organization. Those are all things that you don't bet out without a lot of conversation and understanding. It's not something that you see on a piece of paper that they have their their CPA or their JD and that's gonna answer that question. Mm, absolutely. In, in, in terms of the succession on the, 
on the family or, or family office, or, or I should say family governance side. Um, so we basically have two structures. Um, one is the trust company, i.e. office component um, for us. And then we have our family governance structure. And that's the side that is strictly just family, where we have the family serving as family board members or, or council members, mm -hmm. and then the rest of the family or family assembly, which are comprised of the body of the entire family. Mm -hmm. So we have both of those structures in place. And what we're doing in order to have succession really on both of those with our next generation is just providing opportunities to sit in and listen where they can. Mm -hmm. Most of our third generation family members are college age or just graduated. So mm -hmm. from a, a life cycle standpoint, they're in the part of their lives where they're trying to launch their careers and, and starting families. So they don't have a tremendous amount of, of time to really invest on the, on the family office or family business side. We're starting to see more of that as, as the, that generation reaches their mid twenties. So, so the biggest thing for us is always to have an open door policy, meaning that when, when you're available and you're interested, if you want to just come in and sit and, and listen and learn, please join. Every, almost every meeting with the exception of one is open to any and all family members and is greatly encouraged. Last week, we had our annual family meeting. It was both in person and via Zoom due to the pandemic. And, and we had more participation in that meeting um, than we had ever had. And, and the nice part was that we had more third generation family members. Yeah. So we're, we are starting to see more and more participation. Mm -hmm. I've always been a big proponent of next generation. So when I see educational opportunities, I'll forward it mm -hmm. to the quote kids, young adults. Um, to me, that's, that's part of the, preparedness around that succession mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and looking at when you then look at these family members who might join the family office not necessarily as um, trustees or working um, in a, a more official or what can I say they're joining the family office as staff members can you share any insights on someone wanting to work in the family office space? Sure. One of the things that I think we've learned is, as a family in general, and some of this has come from um, the family business side as well, is we really want to encourage family members to be involved. We also recognize that we can't just have a person come in without the skill set for the required position. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we actually have formal documentation through our family governance structure that outlines criteria to sit on certain committees or boards. So for example, um, on the family governance side, any family member can sit on the board. You just have to be a family member. In our situation, we invite uh, lineal family descendants, as well as people who are married and are partners. Mm -hmm. There doesn't, there's not really a requirement that you have to have a degree or a certain skill set, because that part of our family governance structure really deals more with the family. Mm -hmm. On the family office side, 
there is criteria. So for example, if someone, if a family member were to want to sit on the investment committee, we could have them informally sit on the committee if they don't either have the skill set um, or the, the knowledge so that they could learn. But to sit on the committee, we would definitely want somebody that has that background. They may not have the 10 or 15 years of experience that we would expect a professional to have when we hire them in, but we would certainly provide opportunity for them to begin to sit in and participate so they could transition into to those positions. Mm. And when you're working with your family, um, you said you have over 40 family members now. When, how early do you start talking and introducing the younger generations to the concept of family governance? Um, and do you introduce it as an abstract concept or is it something that um, it is the natural flow of how we do things around here as the culture of the family? Historically, once we, once we established our family governance mm -hmm. system, which was, which was created in uh, 2006, we introduced it to the entire family. So it was, um, it was, it was very conversational and, and actionable. Mm -hmm. we, we held family meetings, I would say almost every year. Then we decided we would, we would hold family meetings every year. And that's really more the business side of the family. And then we have family retreats every other year. And that's the social side of the family. Mm -hmm. so with, with meetings, we, with the family governance side of things, we would host we would have quarterly meetings. Mm -hmm. And so the younger generation, again, everyone's always invited to participate. They didn't mm -hmm. necessarily participate in the quarterly conversations, mm -hmm. but when we have family meetings, annual family meetings, um, we would create educational opportunities for them to participate as well. Mm -hmm. So while the older family members were in the larger meeting with more of the detail around performance and various investments, and structural things, family business, the younger generation were involved in things around what does it mean to be a steward, um, financial nomenclature, basic structures, anything that was of interest to them. And we would just because of ages, we could break them up into what we would call older G3, middle G3 and younger G3s. Mm -hmm. And so if you were a younger G3, you might be learning if you were under the age of five, you just had time with your, with your cousins. Mm -hmm. if, you were in, if you were older till about 10, you would start learning about just basic concepts around family governance or nomenclature kinds of things. And then as they got older, it became a little more sophisticated. So when they're in their twenties, we now have some of the members of that generation that want to understand what do I need to do to secure a mortgage? How do I how do I budget properly as I'm going to college? Some of those more sophisticated kinds of thoughts. Okay. And then looking at your experience um, from before the family office and family governments was put in place and the advantages of um, now having them in place for the generations that are there, what advice would you give to family businesses uh, or family offices that are considering uh, formalizing their governance structures and actually setting up a family office um, that works for the family in terms of um, when you think of if you had the opportunity 
to experience what the G3s are now experiences, which ones are the biggest takeaways that you see them getting that you didn't have? Oh, let's see. So I think some of, wow, some of the biggest ones, um, I'll go back to, I do think open door policy is pretty huge. I mm-hmm. think every uh, people go in and out with different seasons. It could be divorce or death or going off to school like we talked about. So I think I think that that part is really, really important. Um, okay, I lost my train of thought. Can you rephrase that? Can you say the question again? Yes, you were talking about the, the biggest takeaways that you feel like you wish you had that the G3s now have, that you feel that um, other families should really consider as they're going into this process because of the value of it that you found now and you're thinking, wow, I wish I was G3 in my family now because I, I wouldn't have made these mistakes. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, sorry. Okay, so this is where my head was going. Um, I think one big piece is being dynamic. Mm. It's interesting. So when you when you look at the U.S. Constitution and it's 200 plus years old and it's never been it's never been a change document, but there's a lot of amendments. When mm. I think of family governance, I think of that. Mm. So when I look at our family constitution that was created a number of years ago, the basic tenets of it have stayed the same, and it's it's two pages. It's very broad, and it was intended that way. Mm-hmm. Underneath that constitution for us, one of my big takeaways is, is being dynamic because mm-hmm. family, i.e. my generation, the second generation, are the ones that largely created our mission, vision, and value statement. And again, I think that, that those concepts largely remain the same. Mm-hmm. As a family, I think we share the same values and vision for the family. The way that it's accomplished mm-hmm. may look different from generation to generation. And some of the conversation that I've had with our G3s is that the way that the G2s and even the, the matriarch and the patriarch envision things or went about doing things is different from the way that they want to do it. And mm-hmm. I think to be able to embrace being dynamic and willing to let that next generation begin to insert themselves in a way that may not necessarily be the way that you thought, but is the way that that generation wants to come about it, I think is really helpful. I had a a colleague tell me once, when when they're 25, you want to educate them. When they're 35, you want to bring them in to allow them the opportunity to start to lead. And when, when when they're 65, get out of the way. To allow them to take over, and mm-hmm. I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I, I think that there's definitely a role for the elders. Now, my my dad would, if he were on this podcast, he would say, "Oh, I don't, I don't think you believe that." Um, but I, I, I think there's a tremendous role for for the elders in terms of history, education, mentorship. Mm-hmm. I can tell you with a hundred percent certainty that I would not have been able to do the work that I did mm-hmm. and feel comfortable about the work that I did without having my father to mentor me. Mm-hmm. Um, countless conversations. We oftentimes butted heads and had disagreements about things related to the trust company, but his business acumen and his insight into people mm-hmm. is invaluable. 
And I think it's, it's such a gift for those of us that have the opportunity to work in organizations where, where the elders are still around and available to give those kinds of insights. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for, for joining me and for sharing your journey as well as um, just knowing that this is um, a path that has been taken before and can be a successful one despite the challenges because all families and all family offices will face challenges. Um, I think my parting um, question would be, what is the final thought you'd like to leave people with as they're considering working on their family office, working in their family office or creating a family office? My, my final parting thoughts for that is um, patience. Mm-hmm. I think remember that where families have come from and the direction that they're headed is always a journey. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, I, oftentimes I, I say that I feel like I've taken one step forward and two steps back, mm-hmm. but, but there is a lot of relevance around going slow to go fast. And these are not situations that happen quickly. It's, you're, you're giving birth to a new organization and a new opportunity. And I think um, understanding the purpose, understanding the history, why you're, you're, you're creating an office or why you're, you're wanting to work in it, I think is so important. And, I, and, and you have to get to know the family and the reasons why they did it. Mm-hmm. it. It can't be an office or a position where you feel like you're gonna come in and just check a box and do a job. This is so much more than just a job and it can be incredibly rewarding and fulfilling. It can also be frustrating and, um, and, and difficult, but in, in the end, if, if you have the support of the family and, and the perseverance to do the work that needs to be done, it's, it's an amazing opportunity. Absolutely, thank you. Thank you so much once again. Well, thank you. Thank you.